0: and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're already in our 10th episode for the year, Week 10, 2021. Before I get started, I wanted to mention that the Fiber Broadband Association has been very active on the Hill in the past few weeks. I would like to thank our members who have joined us for a number of virtual fly-ins where we held meetings with congressional representatives from their state. We believe that there's some very exciting broadband infrastructure legislation that will be introduced this week After the COVID relief package, the American Recovery Act passes the House today. So stay tuned. On the topic of the American Recovery Act, that legislation also includes some $17 billion of broadband provisions, such as $7 billion for E-rate with money for Wi-Fi hotspots, modems, routers, internet-enabled devices. It also includes some internet services for students, staff, and patrons. There's also $10 billion for Corona Capital Projects Fund for projects that enable work, education, health monitoring, including remote options that that respond to the pandemic. Now, last week, we announced that we'll be holding our annual in-person conference, FiberConnect 2021, will be held at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville on July 25th through 28th. So thank you for your tremendous support as our phones lit up with exhibitors and attendees that are looking to reserve their spot at our conference. You know, we're very excited, especially as we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary of the Fiber Broadband Association and we have some very special things planned. It should be a lot of fun and extremely productive. So I hope you all be able to join us. But now back to today's Fiber for Breakfast session, we'll be discussing fiber and fixed wireless access and FBA look. But before I formally introduce our guests, I'd like to introduce Tris Ehlers from our team who will walk us through some housekeeping items.
1: Thank you, Gary, and good morning to everyone who's joined us today. I'm going to quickly go over a few logistical items. Uh, If you could all please keep in mind that all participants are in listen mode only. To ask a question, please type it into the questions box located within your control panel, which should be on the right side of your screen. We'll host a Q&A session toward the end. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to members only on FBA's website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the fiber for breakfast drop down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a brief feedback survey. We do appreciate your input, so please take the time to do that. I'll now pass it back to Gary to introduce our panelists and get us started.
0: Thank you, Trish. And again, again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we spoke with Larry Thompson, the CEO of Vantage Point, discuss the white paper on if and when fixed wireless access is appropriate to deliver gigabit services for RDOF projects. Today we're going to be taking that topic to the next level with two of the Fiber Broadband Association's board members. Mark Boxer from OFS and Joanne Hovis, the president of CTC Technology and Energy. Mark is a technology manager, solutions, and application engineer for OFS, who has been in the fiber industry for his entire career. He has a deep background in fiber optics applications across a wide variety of network types. Mark has a uh, BMB, what is this, Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering? Is that what that is, Mark? Really. Yeah, okay. He's an engineer from Georgia Tech and has an inventor of six patents. Uh, Joanne is an attorney and a business strategist with two decades background in public sector communications network planning. She is nationally recognized authority on broadband market and on the evolving role of public-private partnerships in the provision of communication services to the public. She has advised hundreds of local governments and state agencies nationwide on broadband projects. So welcome, Mark and Joanne. I'd like to really personally thank both of you for all your work and leadership at the Fiber Broadband Association. Mark is highly active on our Technology Committee, our Education Subcommittee, and our Deployment Specialist Subcommittee. And I also lean very heavily on Joanne's expertise and leadership in our Public Policy Committee. So Mark, I know the Technology Committee's been, you know, developing a fixed wireless versus fiber to the home white paper, and you'll be sharing some technical details with us this morning. And then Joanne's gonna put those details into perspective with the real world example. So for audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll do Q&A at the conclusion of the presentation. So over to you, Mark and Joanne.
2: So, I know we have a very uh, diverse
0: audience, and so
2: we're gonna go through just a a lot of different aspects. Um, We're also gonna go through this, at least on my part, reasonably quickly. Um, And this is also a preview, kind of a sneak peek of what the FBA paper will look like. We're in the final stages of of, um, putting that together, and we'll be releasing that sometime relatively soon. But, you know, a little bit of background, technology comparisons, and really going to focus on uh, speeds, reliability, resiliency, implementation, uh, costs, and lifecycle comparisons. And then I'm going to turn that that over to Joanne, and she's going to give us some real-world perspectives about really how some of these principles Um, You play in real life. So, you know, one you know overarching comment is that fiber loves wireless, and wireless loves fiber. And people have been asking me, you know, when is wireless gonna, uh, you know, take over fiber and supplant it? You know, they've they've been asking me that for 30 years. And the answer is that they really aren't competitive technologies; they're very complementary technologies. And and you know anything you know anything that provides connectivity to people ultimately. And so, you know, fiber loves wireless. Um, you know, but they each they have their lanes. And so, we're going to talk about you know where fiber works better, where wireless works better, and how they can how they can work together. And so, you know, one of the things that um, people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize, is that um, if we look at today's wireless networks, and these are either mobile networks or fixed a- access networks, you know, they're almost completely fiber. And that has to be um, give, just given all of the traffic that we're now um, you putting onto these these mobile networks. And so you know we'll talk about this in more depth. But really, um, you know the the especially over the last five to ten years, the only area uh, or the only you know place that's wireless in the majority of these networks, and it's not every place, but in the majority of these networks, is you know from the uh, your, your phone over to the antenna. So and the the vast majority of it is going to be wired and once it's wired then it's almost exclusively now fiber based because of the, the bandwidth demands that we are seeing so let's so fundamentally when we look at the differences between fiber and wireless and this is a, a pretty busy slide but this is a very fundamental concept um, you know we look at this and it, it becomes a um, you know a bandwidth demand versus uh, spectrum supply type of question. And so um, the graph that we have on the right side of the, of the screen is a U.S. frequency allocations chart, the radio spectrum. And I, I think that this is just an absolutely amazing chart um, just because it gives, it, it shows how many uses there are. And so, you know, especially when you get into some of the stuff at the bottom of the chart, you can go download this thing, um, but you can see all of the different slices of spectrum that takes place. So we're slicing spectrum, um you know in very very fine slices but we're also slicing spectrum in you know in addition to spectrum slices we're also doing this geographically so um you know there there are you know just very you know, very small slices of spectrum that are put together that are used primarily for internet access um so you know some of the you know licensed allocations are these various bands that we show here 700 eight, 850 900 and you continues on but essentially, what is happening is spectrum slices range in bandwidth from, you know, hundreds or thousands of megahertz. So, you know, one of the biggest um, auctions that has taken place took place uh, last year in the midspan or the midband 5G spectrum, and this was auction 107. It was for 280 megahertz of spectrum, and that actually brought in almost 45 billion dollars. But, you know. 280 megahertz uh is not a huge amount of spectrum in comparison to what you see with fiber and so what happens in wireless systems you know fundamentally is is wireless uh engineers basically try and cram as many bits into the spectrum bag as they possibly can but by contrast a fiber has and i've got a number here of 50 terahertz per second um, and you know, that's, that is a, a very large number, but, um, you know, when I, I've talked with some of our engineers, they kind of go, the, you know, the question's a little bit silly as far as the, the ultimate bandwidth for fiber, uh, just because it is so, so high and it's, you know, it's going to be bandwidth dependent to a certain extent. It's going to be laser line width dependent and those kinds of things. And so just the fundamental comparison with, with wireless is that you've got little bits of spectrum versus just massive pipes for, for fiber. And I was hoping that this. you know the graph the picture would show would illustrate that a little bit so you know so fundamentally we have a limited amount of spectrum and we are also seeing just a tremendous demand for speed uh for current and future demand so this is a graph that the the fba technology committee has put together um you know just projecting um bandwidth demand and you can see you know where we are right now is relatively low on the curve um, at eighty five megabits downstream forty eight megabits upstream, and for a, a you know peak bandwidth requirements for a family of four, but we also see a lot of technologies on the horizon that are going to going to increase this bandwidth demand and there are different ways to come up with these numbers you know some people you know look at it on a uh, you know, top down basis where bandwidth is you know, um, was increasing X amount per year is you're know, just in you know, um, you know we tried to look sort of used for a, a particular household and these are all crystal ball types of analyses but the one thing that's clear is limited around the spectrum tremendous amount of bandwidth demand you know speed fundamentally how we deliver it there's a fundamental relationship between speed frequency and distance more speed requires high, higher frequencies higher frequencies you know, have lower distances and you know, a good way of illustrating this is if you hear a car going down the road, uh, you may hear a thump, 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 which is the bass you know, from whoever's playing whatever music. You hear the bass, you don't hear the treble um, because the bass you hear, uh, the lower frequencies you hear a long distance out, and then you only hear the treble as it gets very close. And so that, that um, relationship you know, continues on uh, up the, the spectrum. So more speed requires higher frequencies and higher fre- frequencies have lower coverage distances. So the two main issues, the speed to the antenna with backhaul, and so accumulating blocks of spectrum, especially in rural areas, is t- typically not viable for higher levels of service, and that, so that means ultimately you've got to have fiber to get there, and then um, you know, from there, if to provide speed to the end user, higher speeds require more cells, which means that these more cells need to be much, much closer to the customer, and the graphic that we have on the right side of the uh of the screen was a, a paper that the fba did uh, a few years ago highlighting the differences in the amounts of fiber that will be needed for 4g networks versus 5g networks so from a reliability and resiliency standpoint your know, fiber has 20 kilometer reach plus um very sp- high speed wireless networks require you know many many more cell sites which are individual points of failure so you know this the graph on the right hand side of the screen the yellow dot is you know shows a fiber OLT and this is something we had in our um, our opex paper where we were comparing fiber to copper and coax but this and so the same analogy is very similar that you know you you ha- are going to have to have a lot of small cells to provide enough bandwidth so each one of those small cells is an individual po- you know, point of failure and so the speed to the end user requires you know, higher speeds more cells closer to the customer and higher frequent frequencies are more sensitive to distance and temperature and humidity and rain and fog and wind and vegetation and line of sight and building materials and frequency interference and all of these kinds of things that you know, we encounter when, um, you know, when our satellite TV fades, or we have Wi-Fi issues, I mean, those those kinds of things happen. And this, for, you know, for the combination of these reasons, that's why we haven't seen a lot of gigabit wireless systems. They're very rare for exactly these reasons. So I think that was my last slide. Um, let's go one more of oh, the one more so you know where wireless can be very effective is speed to market and cost so wireless can be faster to install for um, today's speeds and sometimes can be seen as a reservation for fiber your know, fibers initial cost can be higher but if you look at it overall you know long term it's much less expensive and the fba is working on a paper to really highlight this and to highlight the the overall life cycle costs and fiber stands the the test of time and so you know one additional points you know so we show that this graph comparing the different, um you know just all of the different grades of wireless so the different generations of wireless versus fiber you know single mode fiber that was introduced in the 1980s is still you know compatible you know we've seen big quality improvements but you know it's still fundamentally the same design but you see a lot of different generations of wireless uh to 5g and 6g is now on its way so you know, ultimately fiber stands the test of time and i think from here i'm going to go ahead and turn it over to uh joanne for uh yeah. you know, just for some real world case studies
1: thank you mark um and many thanks to uh fba it's a delight to be here for fiber for breakfast this morning um i am um, you know let me start with uh, just a thought to follow up on what Mark said because we are so entirely on the same page um, in terms of his analysis and the important insight that he has offered. Um, when he shared that fiber loves wireless and and vice versa, the wireless loves fiber, um, I think there's no way to overstate the importance of that insight. Sometimes what we say within CTC is that every wireless bit, that comes off of your phone or a piece of equipment at the home is desperately seeking a wire. The the strength of a wireless network is as good as the wire that supports that communication. And any wireless communication is going to have a massive amount of, it will travel a long way over a wire. The more wires ideally fiber, the best of all possible wires, the holy grail of communications infrastructure. The more wires there are close to a piece of wireless equipment, the better that wireless equipment will perform and the better the network will perform. And that's an incredibly important piece of understanding um, why this is um, so significant. Um, What I'd like to do here is show you some of what that looks like. Um, and what the comparison between a potential wireless and a potential fiber deployment might look like in a real world scenario um, to illustrate some of the points that Mark just made, having to do with the importance of fiber for supporting that wireless network, having to do with a difference in life cycle costs, absolutely critically, and having to do with longevity Um, and uh, what we would call the future-proofness of a network. For those of you on um, this morning's event who are engineers, this will all be rather intuitive for you, but I think it's really critical that decision-makers and policy-makers understand these elements also, that wireless is a powerful tool fixed wireless is an exceptionally powerful tool for addressing our rural broadband problems in particular but what it is not is some kind of a magic bullet that allows us to avoid cost in the long run it not only doesn't allow us to avoid cost but it may turn out to be more costly over time depending on the scenario so let me share with you What this looks like in king county washington king county is the county that includes the city of seattle um, and you can see there over on the left side of this map in the uh, western part of the county that is actually seattle and the various communities around lake washington and on puget sound densely populated obviously quite urban king county also has massive rural areas um a lot of mountain a lot of green space areas that are extremely challenging to reach with communications infrastructure and that's a lot of what you see in the majority of this map um all of the areas that are shaded in um, color are areas that are largely unserved with broadband infrastructure and services um, as of the time we did this analysis which was early 2020 but that is still the case they are largely unserved and it's going to take some real effort to serve them um, many of these other areas are also unserved in in the eastern part of the county uh, but the, there's far less population density there and um, and it will involve a different set of challenges the analysis of the options available to the county and its potential private partners that we undertook was that uh, a purely cellular model or a model utilizing existing uh, tower infrastructure was simply not going to be feasible as an economic matter so what we did as an alternative is analyze two scenarios for um, addressing these areas that are unserved. We looked at um, a fixed wireless solution that would address 80% of the unserved areas where there is population. And we looked at the fiber to the premises option. Without just reading my slide, let me tell you what the bottom line is here as a, a kind of um, a way of understanding how this um, happens in the real world the economics of fiber deployment are such that there is an h- a high upfront capital cost that is undoubtable i w- you know w- nobody would argue that it is going to be costly to build fiber to the premises in rural areas such as this particular um, part of rural king county very mountainous and low density at the same time the um understood as um, in terms of full life cycle costs and a total cost of ownership, fiber to the premises starts to look considerably more cost effective. And the reason for that is that um, while the upfront capital costs are quite high, the long-term capital costs are not quite as high as with fixed wireless. Um, Let me repeat that because I think this is counterintuitive particularly for many policymakers, for whom it seems that wireless is going to be, fixed wireless is going to be a cheaper option in in the long-term. That is not actually the case. Fixed wireless is a cheaper option in the short-term. The reason that that happens is that the upfront capital costs on fixed wireless will be lower in the early phases, but because of the need for replacing equipment on a very frequent cycle as frequently as every five to seven or ten years depending on the equipment at issue and where in the network it is located over time the additional costs for equipment refreshes and replacement will grow considerably and the additional infusion of capital at these very frequent levels and in such at these with this kind of frequency and at such high levels will seem to be particularly costly. Um, This is not going to be the case with fiber, where there will be equipment replacement costs, but they are much more modest over time, and the bulk of the capital cost is expended in the initial phases of building the fiber out itself. This, by the way, is without taking into account the performance differences between those two kinds of infrastructures that Mark discussed. Thinking purely from the standpoint of what the costs are, all of the things being equal, which they know they are, we know they are not because there are performance differences. Let me add another couple of points regarding um, understanding a total cost of ownership model and what this looked like, for example, in um, King County and it looks like I'm I'm here at our conclusion, but adding the additional points before we get to the concluding items, the other key thing to think of in terms of a total cost of ownership analysis on fixed wireless versus a fiber solution is that there is considerable operating cost associated with fixed wireless in ways that don't exist for fiber. The reason for that, and, and this is what also changes the economics of the two, the relative options over time the reason for that is that fixed wireless will require an enormous amount of effort to ensure that it is working in the ways it is intended over time a fiber network built in rural eastern king county will have a wire that connects a home and absent some kind of significant event such as a cut to that um, to that fiber or um, uh, loss of power at some kind of significant scale, that that service will continue operating under almost any circumstances. It is remarkably stable and requires relatively modest maintenance to continue operating. In a fixed wireless context, the realities of spectrum and the challenges with spectrum, line of sight and associated matters mean that it will take a considerable amount of effort to ensure that that network is um, operating as it is intended. For example, in eastern King County, where the area is extremely wooded and treed, as the trees grow, there may be line-of-sight challenges. Depending on the spectrum band that is utilized, there may be propagation issues for particular customers. Um, when the leaves grow in, in the spring, there may be issues that are created or when there are weather events that have impact to um, propagation of, um, of the signal. All of that will require higher level of operating cost in order to support and keep the network Um, operating at maximum capability in ways that fiber won't. So I'm going to, um, having I think run through more than the time that was allocated to me, just summarize by saying that it's really important in understanding the options, um, both of these very important infrastructure categories, both of which have an important role to play in solving our broadband challenges throughout America, particularly rural America, Please understand that costs should be understood in terms of total costs of ownership and not just what may look like um, an initial savings related to wireless, but that over time may look very different um, and and that necessary analysis um, to understand the full economics of the deployment uh, is a critical piece of making any kind of decision about infrastructure. Let me turn it back over to Mark for conclusions. Or to Gary for questions, I should say.
0: Yeah, we do have a bunch of questions here, and uh, yeah. So Mark, Joanne, it's really interesting. So Joanne, you know, we saw we had EPB on and um, Dr. Lobo the other day uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were talking that the fiber, uh, the economic impact uh, for Chattanooga for fiber was like seven point or two me, two point seven billion dollars, and a lot of that impact not only was jobs and companies moving to town and you know economic development, but also on power grid, you know the um, smart grid, and they were reducing outages by 43%. Did you guys look at any other um, critical infrastructure benefits in those studies, or is that just purely for communications?
1: So um, we do. We analyze economic impact uh, quite frequently, as well as other kind of positive externalities to the infrastructure. Um, in fact, in the context of Seattle um, and King County, we have done this in the past um trying to understand and quantify what the benefits of a really robust fiber infrastructure on a ubiquitous basis or other kinds of technologies um what what that might mean from the standpoint of not just economic development gary which dr lobo is, speaks to so eloquently but also in terms of the um, health care impact and how that can be quantified in dollars um, the um, reduced trips to the emergency room reduced needs for uh, um, ambulances um, uh, the um, impact to the power grid that you referenced in terms of reduced outages or faster recovery from those outages um, the, the, what, what I think we should quantify as the positive externalities of the network are really what we're getting at there as an aside many of those benefits will not accrue to the network owner in a commercial context Right. These are societal benefits that are felt by the entirety of the community, um, as opposed to something that shows up on the financial statements of the network owner. But that's part of the reason why it's so important to take them into consideration as policymakers, decision makers, um, appropriators in Washington are thinking about their investments is to understand that entire big picture and the reason why this is so important to begin with.
0: Great, thanks Joanne. Um, to Mark, uh, so a lot of what Joanne's talking about is predicated on the durability of fiber. And so one of the questions is, what is uh, fiber's longevity? You know, How long does it um, before it needs to be upgraded or replaced?
2: Yeah, um, it's a good question. We know that we've had fiber in place for 30, 40 years. And so um, yeah, we are it's it's really it's a really tough question to answer because if it's deployed the way that we recommend deploying it we don't know what's going to cause it to fail so if you deploy it correctly then you know there we don't know the mechanism that would actually cause it to fail so we don't know what the the long term um you know where it can go long term you know so we know 30 to 40 years because it's it's already done that um and then if you look at you know the design and the testing regimens that are in place in order to support it you know we're, we're trying to provide multi-decade life um but that that is going to be the you know the best i'm going to be able to do it's to me it's kind of like i was i answered this question yesterday also and someone else asked me and it was kind of like okay well how long is the desk that i was at going to last yeah i don't know it's going to last a long time i don't know what's going to cause it to fail and you know if you've got a properly deployed fiber i'm not sure that it's it's too much different than that so
0: short answer, super long time. Absolutely. Uh, so Joanne, this is from my favorite regulatory attorney, so uh, brace yourself. Uh, the FCC's reverse auction subsidy program looks only at short-term costs for deploying services to residences. They do not take into account service to cell towers, anchor institutions, schools, hospitals, are separate subsidy programs and business customers. So how do we get regulators to look at costs holistically?
1: Wow. Um, There's a big question, um, Gary. I think that the FCC will hopefully be looking at very seriously as they try to understand how the the Rural Digital Opportunities Fund Reverse Auction played out and whether this was the best possible expenditure of funds. you know, I think some of the issues that we have referenced already in today's session are a piece of this and need to be quantified for the model. The FCC works through with a cost model that just has to do with getting certain speeds to certain areas for some very modest period of time, measured at less than 10 years, 10 years is the best case thus far, doesn't take into account long-term total cost of ownership, doesn't take into account long-term impact to the Universal Service Fund. In other words, if you build a future-proof infrastructure now, isn't it likely that you'll end up spending less in those Universal Service Funds over the next 30 to 40 years, to Mark's point about the longevity about the network, but also doesn't take into account what we've referenced as the, the societal benefits or the positive externalities of the network, and where are we going to see the greatest impact with regard to healthcare, education, um, and the other things that are the reason why this matters in the first place. None of that is accounted for in the FCC's model for how to address it. I understand how complex that is to manage, but I think that well, it's 2021 and we've got enough experience with the broadband internet now, and we have enough understanding of the fact that this is not just a simple matter of, delivering telecommunication services to rural areas. This is a matter of societal value. It is a matter of the competitiveness of the United States and the world, and um, a greater nuance and complexity in evaluating how to spend public funds is an absolutely necessary task. I didn't answer the question. I just raised more questions. Sorry.
0: (laughs) We're we're out of time, but I want to throw in one last technical question, Mark. I think it's a good one. It's, uh, should we be be focusing, be focusing on technologies or will wireless require dedicated fiber? Can you repeat the question because you cut out for a second. Well, we, should we be focusing on PON technologies or will wireless require dedicated fiber? Point, point. Um, you know, what we are seeing is that, uh,
2: you know, PON is continuing to grow and the speeds that are um, being deployed over PON are continuing to grow and um, it's a really good question and um you know, we are seeing some deployments that uh you know, have dedicated fibers we are seeing some deployments that use PON, and so that is uh, that's i'm going to give you an effective non-answer with that one um uh but you know, we we have seen both and a lot of it is going to depend on the business plan and ultimately what you're trying to deliver you know, to to your customers. Um, both are are viable, especially with the next generations of ponds that are coming in at 10 gigabits per second and, and above. And they're you know, being commercially deployed today. Um, you know, there are networks that have been that are using NG pon 2 over over Pond architectures. So, um, you know, I think either one is a valid choice and it's worth
0: a, a deeper look based on your business plan. All right, well, thank you so much, Mark and Joanne. Yeah, you know, uh, we greatly appreciate your industry leadership and your leadership at the Fiber Broadband Association. So thank you for sharing your perspectives and expertise on fixed wireless networks with our audience today. Yeah, I hope you all join us next week for Fiber for Breakfast on Wednesday, where we'll be discussing the future of rural America. How can a prosperous thought thrive with our friend Chad Root, who was the most recent Served as the 21st administrator of the uh, RUS, Rural Utility Service. So thank you again for joining us today and we look to see you next Wednesday.